0: This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. It's 2020, and I often forget that it's not always been this modern of a world. You know, in my head, 1995 is still only about 15 years ago not 25 years ago, and it's fascinating to me that oftentimes the passage of time, it seems so quick and so slow. And I think the way we have conversations about things in our culture are often quick and slow. On the one hand, people talk about things uh, much more openly and honestly these days. I think we have social media to thank for that. The way people post, the way people microblog, the way people tweet every thought that comes to their head, myself included, and sometimes regret it, and then they go delete it. The way that we share memes and we laugh at photos and we tell funny stories of embarrassing moments, the whole nine yards. People are much more vocal about things these days. Opinions, questions that they might have, connecting with people via the internet. That's also then, I think, seeped into our regular daily lives that are not played out on a screen. Conversations at the coffee shop, or gathered around the water cooler at work, or even the fact that podcasts are a thing where people can sit in a home office at 7.45 on a Monday evening and record the intros and outros of a podcast that hopefully you'll be listening to in just a few hours. I'm literally looking at a computer screen and talking to it, and hopefully thousands of people will hear it in just a few days. What's fascinating is that more and more conversation is happening, and that means more and more topics are being discussed. Not just the weather, not just uh, what kind of shoes do you like, not just a political opinion, although there's plenty of that to go around, but conversations about things that we struggle with or big questions we have concerning existence or faith conversations and and discussions and disagreements about things that are going on within the culture, whether it's uh, the immigration issue, whether it's end-of-life issues, whether it's beginning-of-life issues, oftentimes people want to have conversations with other people who are like-minded, sometimes are open-minded enough to have conversations with people that are not of the same mind. Either way, I don't think we can deny the fact that people are talking. But there's one thing that no matter how much talking is happening, there's one thing that I think some people do still hesitate to talk about, that we do kind of hold back either opinions, judgments, insights, or even just our own personal experience. I'll talk about the weather. I'll talk about the shoes I like. I'll even talk about my preference of political candidates. But I might not always want to talk about my anxiety, or I might not always want to tell you about my therapist, or I might not always want to even be vocal about the fact that I go to a therapist, now, when I say that, I'm not necessarily just talking about myself, because I am usually quite honest and vocal about it, because I think having those conversations and sharing those experiences is the only way to help and encourage other people to seek out the help they need. That's why we're doing this entire AVE Explores project on mental health. But... I think there's a a, a second conversation to be had, not just about these mental health challenges, whether it's anxiety, whether it's guilt, whether it's depression, uh, whether it's walking through the valley of grief and addiction, but even just a conversation about having the conversation is significant because it allows us to begin to think maybe those conversations are important and maybe I can be a person who helps host those conversations, who has those conversations, who's unafraid to enter into that space and talk about it, whether it's from my own perspective, the perspective of friends and family that I've I've walked with, perhaps even professional experiences that I've, I've encountered and I've had, that a conversation about having conversations about mental health is one worth having. And, and that's what we're doing today in this particular episode. We sat down with my very good friend, Roy Pettifee, an Ave author who's written a fantastic book about mental health, specifically walking with young people, uh, a licensed practitioner counselor at LPC in Lafayette, Louisiana, just about 90 minutes away from where I live, an international Catholic speaker who has an incredible podcast, Today's Teenager. And Roy really unpacks with us today why having conversations about mental health are necessary. And why starting to think about the importance of those conversations is really step one in healing, is really step one in getting the culture to recognize our mental health is not something to gloss over, ignore, reject, or not think about. As always, we want to remind you at the top of the podcast that this podcast and any of the resources created for Ave Explorers are not a replacement for professional help. Roy is a licensed practitioner in counseling. He is a mental health professional, but he is offering insight from his perspective as an LPC, and he would tell you, and he does say this, that you, if you think might need to seek out professional help, might need to seek out diagnosis, seek out medication, seek out therapy, that that's something that you should do, that this is not a replacement for it, but are merely insights and encouragement and advice on how to go about finding that and why that might be important. Roy has some great things to say today, everything from talking about his own struggles with anxiety and depression, why he wanted to get into the mental health field in the first place, the things that he's seeing young people are facing the most today, But most importantly, and and this is my favorite thing about my good friend, Roy shares from the heart why our faith is not something contrary to our mental health, but in fact works in tandem with and is something that can lead to deeper healing, deeper healing in Christ because we have sought out to heal and, and, and to find the light and the hope with the struggles in mental health that many of us face. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I certainly enjoyed having this conversation with Roy. And so please enjoy this chat with my friend, Roy Pettifay. So Roy, thanks so much for joining us. We are happy to have you on the Avi Explorers podcast. Thanks for taking the time.
1: No, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, pronounce your last name so we, we get it correct, and um, what you do, where you are, and uh, why why you said yes to coming on this podcast in the first place.
1: Oh, awesome. Um, well, I'm Roy Petafeast. That's how you pronounce my last name. It means grandchild in French, um, and I live in Lafayette, Louisiana, um, about an hour east of Miss Katie Prejean-McGrady, um, and I... Was um, I was a seminarian for a long time in my background, about five years, and then when I left seminary, I was a campus minister at a, at a Catholic high school in Lafayette, Louisiana, and then I, while I was doing that, I got my um, license and, and master's in mental health counseling and worked as a school counselor and an administrator at a Catholic elementary and middle school, and then for the last eight years, I've been in uh, nine years, I've been full-time private practice working almost exclusively with teenagers as a counselor.
0: So what was the the trigger for wanting to go from straight ministry, which is obviously very fruitful, sometimes yeah. busy life, to like, I want this degree. I want to, to have that license. I want to have that, now, I don't want to say credibility, but. But credibility, right? Like that's yeah, yeah. Like, what was what was the prompt for you to want to, to go into that field?
1: Great question. Thank you for asking that yeah. question. By the way, um, I, when I was at uh, St. Thomas More uh, Catholic High School, um, we were doing these retreats called Kairos retreats, which are done mm-hmm. you know all over the country and world. But we hadn't done them there, and so we we introduced that model. And there's a tendency, you know, the retreat lends itself to be more testimonial mm-hmm. and you know discussions where emotions can come up. And um, the school counselors there legitimately had uh, had some concerns about like non-trained, um, yeah. you know, ministers um, getting into some of these heavy conversations. And and we made more than a few mistakes doing that. And uh, my ego got that thwarted. Um, and I was like, I don't want anyone to ever tell me that again. And so like the next day I applied to go to grad school and get wow. my degree in counseling. Um, now when I was in seminary, I looked forward to doing pastoral counseling and those Mm -hmm. things. So it wasn't like completely out of the blue. Right. And, um, and while I was in that, I became passionate about two things. One, um, believing that there is one truth and that the psychological, the the language of the social sciences and the languages of spirituality really are saying the same thing and we, Mm -hmm. we can combine them. Um, And secondly, uh, very passionate, which is still my passion and the reason for the book, which is to empower ministers, parents, and other caring adults to be able to do more than they think they can do in terms of being in a helping relationship with Mm -hmm. young people. Not to make them therapists, but to give them some skills from the social sciences and and to do that in a language of faith Mm -hmm. and, and also to help people see how the tools of our faith um, can be really effective at, at, at coping with certain mental health issues.
0: Yeah. So that coping with mental health issues, that last phrase that you said, that's, you know, you, you saw a need and you responded to the need, especially right. from the context of high schoolers who are in this right. massive phase of transition. Life is never the same from like the age of 11 up to 25, like you're in constant right. transition. That's right. And then, and there's almost like this, I've been doing a lot of research lately into Gen Zs and millennials, mm. um, and, and how, you know, we all know the stats of one in five uh, young people today have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. I'm one of those five. Uh, mm-hmm. I carry these little blue pills with me and I can't leave the house without them. And if, you know, they're necessary to my survival in life. Right. Um, yeah. And I like, I Got have it. no problem saying that in the world. Um, yeah. I have no problem sharing with people that I go to therapy. I have no problem talking about it. I think that's a unique to our generation thing of millennials talk about it. Gen Zers talk about it. We, it's, it's almost like it's become destigmatized in the culture um, to where we recognize yeah. the value of it but that hasn't always been the case. Um, no. Why do you think that is? Like, why is there sometimes this mental hangup when it comes to talking about discussing and even improving mental health?
1: Yeah, and the, uh, my generation was, you know I'm a Gen Xer and so I'm a tail end of the Gen Xers but mm-hmm. um, my generation um, really Uh, was hung up on it. And the previous generation before, I don't know that they were hung up on it. They just didn't know, like my mom's generation didn't really know as much. Like we Mm -hmm. just didn't have as much knowledge about it. Um, I think one of the reasons is that it's not, it's not a completely empirical science, like Mm -hmm. something like medicine would be, or, Mm -hmm. you know, biology where you can actually see things. And we didn't have the technology in order to be able to see things empirically. Like today Mm -hmm. we can see bipolar in the brain. An fMRI f- right. scan, we can see the anxiety and depression in my brain. Mm-hmm. You know, we can see these things. And so now we know with with a lot more certainty that, that these things aren't just kind of foo-foo. Right. And we feel a little less like we're trying to nail jello to a tree with it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so that's one of the reasons I think that we didn't talk about it because it was kind of slippery- a lot of folks didn't even know it, that it was real.
0: Right. They, it was just get over it, right? Like, Yeah, get yeah. over it. Pull yourself up. up by your yeah. bootstraps,
1: you yeah. know. Um, and that's in America. Now, you, right. you go outside of the country and get into cultures that where they still don't, like, they want to rely on the family. Mm-hmm. And that like, we can fix it in the family and, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I think the stigma comes from, like, if you have a broken arm, no one has a problem taking pain medication or wearing a cast. Um, but if you have a broken heart and, you know, a broken spirit and you're mm-hmm. depressed, you know, getting help for that from a professional is highly stigmatized because it's, it's like this um, for people. One, other people have been very judgmental about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And for people, they think that they, there's a lot more shame when it comes to mental health issues than right. there are with physical issues. And right, I'm, not, right. I'm not minimizing the, the shame that folks can have about their physical appearance or handicaps or issues like right. that but it's just different. It's just different. Mm-hmm. I'm defective. Like I'm defective, right. above, you know, depression.
0: And it's something, it's something I hide because I don't want to be judged. There's That's that right. fear of judgment, which could even lead to further going down that rabbit hole of, of the pain yeah. and the suffering and the fear. And then on the flip side of it, there's this, I don't want people to treat me any differently. You know, no. Yeah. And, 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 but yet at the same time, like I, if I'm not wearing my glasses, I can't see. And so right. like my husband has to tell me, if I'm walking around the house, I'm like, where are my glasses? He helps me find them because he recognizes I can't operate fully without them on. Yep. So I, I think we're finally, as a culture, I don't know if you've seen this within your own work, but we're getting to a place where we can have these conversations. I'm,
1: yeah.
0: I'm sure you saw just this past week Bishop Conley of Lincoln, Nebraska, sharing very publicly why he's taking – an extended sabbatical he's leaving for a while to take care of his mental health and it was love that the first time i i would argue probably in the history of the american catholic church that we've seen a bishop be so public yeah. about something going on internally that's not a cause of scandal but is truly like a, a reason for mercy and compassion
1: absolutely
0: as a counselor who's working specifically with young people what's like one or two very simple things we can do to help continue this destigmatization to help continue like opening up the floodgates of having honest, open, and and the whole point of Avi explores is to try to give hope, right? To have hopeful yeah, conversation sure. about mental health.
1: One, I think, you know, we're doing it right now. Mm-hmm. So I think folks like you and I, and there's lots of folks like you and I out there who have, um, maybe not like this big old international platform or whatever, but they've got, that, you know, we've got youth ministers who are in, in, in youth groups, and we've got teachers who are in classrooms. We've got parents who have families. And so to be able to be a little vulnerable, appropriately vulnerable and transparent about our issues. You know, my mom, the second, when she passed away in 2000, the second cause of death on her death certificate was depression. Mm -hmm. That's when I got it. Like I'd never heard a medical doctor, like your mom has severe depression, which is Mm -hmm. causing her to not want to take her medication. Otherwise she could have beat this illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got it and I've I've seen it in my own life. what was the question again? I don't know. why. Well, just
0: like ways that we can destigmatize <laughs> oh, yeah. That was it. Like so we can be vulnerable.
1: We can, yeah, we can be vulnerable and we can talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a real practical one that helps to destigmatize it and helps young people to come forward. And, you know, when we share our story and, and certainly when I share mine, young people come up, Oh, thank you so much for saying that. So mm-hmm. we can mm-hmm. all do that. Now, again, it doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to have a disorder, You know, Mm -hmm. you can just struggle with being, you know, wound a little too tight. You know, you Mm -hmm. can have a little anxiety. You can be prone to depression and share that. Um, I love it. Folks like you and I, though, are able to share because we can in our setting, like the use of medication. I've used Mm -hmm. psychotropic medication for the last 20 years off and on, more on than off. Mm -hmm. And and, I'm in counseling. The second thing, though, that, that might feel more practical that we can wrap our hands around is listening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that that this especially this young gen, younger generation and your generation we saw it ebbing with yours mm-hmm. which is a need to tell the story. Um, mm-hmm. It's not even as much a need to tell it as to be heard and seen mm-hmm. and 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 held within the context of our narrative. And as people of faith, you know, as human beings, we can do that. Listening really involves. Now, in the book, we can get into more sophisticated mm-hmm. skills around that. But to be able to be there and listen and not offer cheap cliches like you know um there's a silver lining around mm-hmm. every cloud mm-hmm. not to say that we don't provide encouragement but that that we listen and and that's really important because when this is another thing we know <laughs> you know empirically that listening changes the brain yeah. and when, when people feel heard we see parts of the brain that light up and we see new new neural connections that are formed um, and it allows young people to problem solve. When anybody really feels heard, their ability to problem solve and navigate and plan goes up by at least 100%. It at least doubles, and sometimes even more. So those are things that, that we can all do. You don't need a, a license to listen. Mm-hmm. You just need a willingness to listen.
0: Right. and And so somebody that comes to us says... And I think I might be depressed or I think I'm struggling yeah. with, with I, I've noticed. And of course, like sometimes like I go down the rabbit hole of WebMD and I like self-diagnose with things and I'm yeah. like, you're, you're fine, right? But like, <laughs> but like even the, like he'll listen to me go through like my concerns or my fears or my worries or the things that are causing me, like this summer when my doctor diagnosed me with anxiety and, and he said, if, if you immediately begin to think of the 10 things that can go wrong in the midst of the really great thing that you're experiencing, yeah. that might be, we need to have a conversation. And, yeah. and the whole reason we arrived at that diagnosis was because we sat in the room and he let me talk. He just yeah. let me unload where my head was headed. And and this was like, after we just finished buying the house of our dreams, right? Like I'm now immediately thinking it could flood, it could catch on fire. Somebody right. could break in, right? Like somebody right. could come steal my child. Like the neighbors right. might be mean, like all yeah. those And so it was an honest conversation, just like you said, vulnerability that led to authentic listening that, I mean, this is very Catholic. This is very Christian, that that's what Christ did.
1: Absolutely. And look, Brene Brown has a spiritual lens that she puts on it and she calls that foreboding joy. Mm -hmm. I I, I have a hard time really enjoying something Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm too worried about protecting it. And, uh, you know, the other piece of anxiety that's really important, and this is the, you know, it's actually in the one in five in general, um, Probably most of the arenas I'm in that I travel in, I see one in four. Mm -hmm. Um, And in really achievement-oriented communities, it can go as high as one in three.
0: Um,
1: And I've been in schools and I've been in parishes where that's true. The the difficult piece with anxiety, and this is important for everyone to know, is that most folks, like I like my anxiety. I have a generalized anxiety Mm -hmm. disorder, some OCD too, but I like it because that fear of failure motivates me. Mm -hmm. Now, that's good, you know, Mm -hmm. to a certain point, but it can get overdone. Right. And so, you know, I just love asking people that question, you know, what about your anxiety do you like? And It's yeah. very counterintuitive, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it helps them to realize that, oh, that's why it's not going away. Because yeah. on some level, it is good.
0: I'm clinging um, to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yep.
0: So so we're having these conversations. You and I, we're friends. We're old friends. Uh, yeah. For those that don't know, Roy and I live 90 minutes away from each other, but we only see each other when we travel across the country and, and end up in the same that's place, true. usually in that's Los it. Angeles. Like that's, <laughs> that's all the right. Cajuns that's have right. to go to California to hang out. Um, right. But like we're able to have this conversation very openly. Um, yeah. And you you have that. I think this might be part of our like Southwest <laughs> Central Louisiana culture of like, it's easy for us to talk. It's easy for us to talk with our hands. It's easiest for us to have these yeah. conversations. Um, it's almost easy sometimes for us to listen because we know we've been hurt when it specifically comes to maybe the person that's resistant. So like I'm imagining the person that knows my friend is struggling with something and I can see it, but they can't. Um, or the friend that comes to you and says, well, yeah, I'm I'm dealing with all these things, but like, I don't want to get any help. Like what, what is just maybe some language, some words that we can use to help those who might be scared of getting help. Go find the how many times can I say the word help can can find
1: yeah, yeah some assistance and look it takes a it takes a lot of humility mm-hmm. um, I was my prayer this morning and the reflection I was reading is the best prayer that we can say to God that God cannot resist is help
0: mm-hmm.
1: help mm-hmm. Um, I can't do it on my own right and so uh, to understand that. And I think when we have a little bit of empathy around what level of vulnerability and perhaps embarrassment that that person feels like they would have to undergo in order to get help, um, that comes through. And, and just to be able to say, Oh well, what's it like for you? You know, and listen to them. Um, I always like to ask, you know, what have you tried that hasn't worked? You know, um, um, those types of things. And, and in terms of encouraging um, I always like the feel felt found, which is to mm-hmm. say, I get it. I get it. It makes sense to me that you feel like, look, I just, I don't want to get help for a whole mm-hmm. bunch of reasons. Um, I have felt the same way and I, or I know others have felt what I found though, is that this is a very slippery slope.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: it's not like really, really bad right now, but a part of the nature of these inexact sciences is that we don't really know how much it would take and how quickly this thing mm-hmm. can go from bad to lethal, right. like really right. bad. To go. So, yep. Yeah. And anxiety is the same way. Most of the depression and suicidality that that I see in teenagers today are are really a lot of it's driven by anxiety. Depression Mm -hmm. kind of falls in on the back end. So just to be able to. And again, you know, you want to match it. You don't want to make the person who's having a a bit of a rough day feel like they're about to kill themselves. Right. Right, right. Because they're going to be like, you're cuckoo.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Right. But those types of things, I think, help.
0: Yeah, yeah. Trusted trusted friends who have seen or family who have noticed trends over time that want to, I hate to even use that word intervention, but to intervene and to really try to step in and, and out of that place of charity and love for them. That feel, felt, found. Say that one more time just so we can provide clarity. Yeah, it
1: makes sense to me. So you want to validate that person. And mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like, I get it. You feel like you don't want to go and see, um, you know, a professional, like you don't want to go get help. And I can imagine you feel that way for a bunch of reasons. Um, if you have felt that way, then you go, like, I have felt similarly. We never mm-hmm. want to say I felt the same way, right? right we know right. your generation knows that better than mine. It's I, empathy. Uh, yeah, it's empathy. Yeah. I felt similarly. And I'm saying that I don't know exactly what it means to be you. I think I felt similarly. Um, and what I have found or what other, what some friends of mine have found is that when, when you do seek help, um, that things can get a lot better, mm. um, much more quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's feel, felt, found. I like to use that um, over and over. I also think that some folks have that, that listening gift. Mm-hmm. and and if you go what's that like for you you know tell me more about that let's go have coffee and and now we've created a pathway for that person to be able to see that this is helpful talking mm-hmm. about it's helpful and you go, man if you thought this is helpful you should try go and talk to a counselor
0: yeah imagine right? a licensed professional <laughs> that's yeah. right there's some great insights being shared by roy and as a licensed professional counselor he's got some great Advice to offer about how to have these conversations and in, in the next half of the episode he's going to talk about some of the trends that he's seeing and if this is interesting to you if this is helpful to you, if this has kind of opened up a, a window in your mind and a, a longing in your heart to go a little deeper, I'd encourage you to please visit AveMariaPress.com to read all of the resources that we have created um, articles and uh, different videos and, and other podcast episodes as well as a, a pretty detailed resource list from all of our Ave Explorers contributors that is unpacking and exploring this topic of stress, anxiety, and mental health. So go to AveMariaPress.com to access all of the Ave Explorers resources.
1: The other piece, and you saw it because you just talked about it, that I love. I don't care. My goal, this is where people go go wrong with kids, and I think in ministry. Mm -hmm. Like, they get attached to how they get in the house. I don't care a flip about how I get in the house. I just (laughs) want to get in the house. Because most teens have a do not enter sign over the front door, whether it's marijuana or whether it's mental health, Right. So if they're not going to take my word for it, would you at least go and talk to your physician? Mm -hmm. Would you go talk to your doctor? Mm -hmm. It's amazing what that white coat does um, and their ability to be able to say, because some folks really could benefit from medication and the doctor can make that call. And if the doctor recommends counseling, um, very Mm -hmm. I, I just see the the follow through and compliance rate with that being really, really high. Yeah, so.
0: It's almost like it, that's part of the medicine, right? Like that's yeah. part of the treatment. I'm not going to give yeah. you the pills until you actually right. talk to the person. Correct. Yeah. So you mentioned teenagers there and, and getting in the house with teens. I want to kind of transition to your specific area of expertise because again, of your background is young people. Um, right. Working with young people, speaking to young people. Um, we're going to drop the link to your NCYC keynote from a couple years ago because it's one of oh. the best we've ever seen in the show notes. Um, but but so give us just kind of like a landscape snapshot of what's going on in the mental health of Gen Z today. Um, you know, we know millennials, there's this really interesting stat that I'm sure you've heard that like most millennials think that the mark of adulthood is emotional stability, which Mm. I find fascinating about millennials because, you know, we are not necessarily the most emotionally stable generation. Um, but then Gen Zers, the mark of adulthood was, uh, financial stability, which I thought was really fascinating because uh-huh. uh-huh. they grew up at a time when the financial crisis was really hitting the country quite right. hard. And so they watched mom and dad struggle with that and maybe cancel family vacation or sell the second mm. car or whatever it is. But what do we know Gen Z is struggling with? What do we know um, they're dealing with most, both mentally and, and personally and spiritually and, and, and even within the societal <clears throat> expressions of, of the world today?
1: A few things. One, I think that that that's important, and this is going to be a little more theoretical. Is that of course, yeah. You know, we're seeing it with the boomers. Okay, boomer stuff, which mm-hmm. I love, by the way. Yeah, I say to I, my parents all the time. Absolutely, <laughs> I love it, and I love it when my son tells me that. And I love it when young people, because they're right. Mm-hmm. The reason that came about that sociological trend is because. They are smart enough and they're aware that we as adults, as a whole, have collectively been talking to them in a very patronizing and Mm -hmm. condescending tone. I wrote a book on marriage about that. Like it wasn't about marriage. It was how to talk to people because I was tired of folks going, you don't know anything. So sit down, Mm -hmm. shut up and listen to me. Oh, I hate it. It makes me want to puke. We read that book when we first got married and it helped us immensely. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I wish I had had it. (laughs) Um, so you know, I think I think how we go to them and how we talk with them about certain things, I think, is really, really, really important. So what I see, what I really see them struggling with, um, is is one, I need to be validated for mm-hmm. for who they are, that they um, that they have a lot of gifts and they have something to bring to the table that we might need to know in order to be able to help them. So I think that's critical. That's just old missiology, theology, right? Mission theology. We don't give to them. We receive as much, right? So, um, but stress, <clears throat> the perception, right? The meaning that they give stress. Now they are the more stressed out generation in general. They've got more demands on their time. You know, we've got some longitudinal studies to, to show that, but the where I like to go with them is is that the meaning that they give stress is what's causing the anxiety very often. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. that's in general. I'm, I'm speaking kind of theoretically. For a lot of them, um, and so if they get made fun of because they're snowflakes, right? Mm-hmm. Folks say they're snowflakes. Yep. We they're need not safe resilient. spaces. Yep. yep. They're incredibly hardworking, right? They are, yep. and um, and so we can say, okay, maybe a lack of resilience. But I'm not going to say that when I'm talking to young people, but. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. So what do they need in terms of how can we talk with them? What does that stress mean? Like, what does it mean for you to be stressed Mm -hmm. because stress can be positive and negative. So Mm -hmm. one is to, is to put that out there. Like stress is not necessarily stress is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Too much Mm -hmm. of it, the wrong type of it can be negative. Um, I think, I think that as a general, one of the things that I'm concerned about is that they're looking at schools and they're looking at churches And because we're easy targets for them to be able to blame for their stress, Mm -hmm. but school is not stressing kids out. It's 37 Mm -hmm. weekends a year on the soccer tournament field. That's what's stressing kids out. Mm -hmm. It's having to play four instruments, write an animal and invent a nonprofit and solve some world problem that needs to go on a college essay. It's the belief that if I don't get into Harvard or as the university, you and I love Mm -hmm. Notre Dame, my life is over. Here's the truth, friends. If you show up for work and you leave your phone in the car and you work hard, which is one of the strengths of your generation, you're gonna climb the ladder faster than than you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't need that degree. But so much of it, as you're right, is driven by that financial stability and grades and school performance and other markers of young adulthood in their mind threaten that financial stability. So Mm -hmm. that's a huge one. And so we do have kids who from mismanaging stress through genetics through environmental reasons really have a ton of anxiety mm-hmm. we're seeing real anxiety going up this is not a pretend thing right. it's a real thing it's you the know. brain chemistry is changing absolutely the neural yeah. pathways are changing and they're they're heightened and now a lot of some of their lifestyle choices don't help with that in terms mm-hmm. of mental health in terms of you know the gaming the binge gaming gaming's mm-hmm. fine an hour or two at a time right but right. it elevates that fight flight and so their cortisol levels, and so they're just more prone to be reactive and maladaptive to not handle stress, you know, right. well. Right, um, and that is leading to a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, social media in this generation. I get depressed when I spend more than twenty minutes on Facebook because yep. either I fear of missing out, or their life's just more interesting than mine. Mm-hmm. And so they are growing up in that. Um, I think one of the more difficult things for this generation is, is how they're doing relationships. Mm. Um, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a bit of a complex thing in terms of, um, how they're, they're so proficient at the screen, you yeah. know, and texting and the mm-hmm. snapchatting that their skills and face to face one-on-one, um, conversations or, um, are really challenging them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I noticed
0: a, tr- a trend in teenagers introducing themselves at conferences. And like the first thing they'll say is I follow you on Instagram. And then they like immediately like bring up something that was posted on social media weeks before, because right. like they, there's an assumption of, well, I saw it on a screen. So it's the most real thing ever. And now ever. I know this person. And then all of a sudden you're in front of them. And like, they, they fangirl or like, they get like super awkward or uncomfortable yeah. and like, not just with me, with like any person. That, yeah. Yeah.
1: I I, I hear uh, and,
0: and the outside that sphere, it becomes very challenging to then make it real.
1: Yeah, that's a great insight. Um, it's a great insight. Um, I think that that there's some like some real what we call psychoeducation stuff that, that young people. Well, one, and this is this I believe with the hard hearts is that you know, we're the rate of anxiety and depression is increasing at the same rate that people are fleeing from organized religion. Wow. Um, you know, um, it's, and that's There's not in my opinion. Yeah. In my opinion, that's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of, and you and I have had issues in the last year, and we share concerns about how our church has handled some things to the point of making me want to puke, right? Mm-hmm. I feel better when I walk out of mass. Mm-hmm. I I feel better, like that gives meaning to me. When we throw religion away, it's not far before we throw God away. Mm -hmm. When we throw that away, smart people are really gonna have a hard time not being depressed. Mm -hmm. Like, where Mm -hmm. do you go? What's the point of it all? We're hardwired. This is our Catholic anthropology. Mm -hmm. We are hardwired for meaning. Right. Right? That's that's my belief. And some folks don't share that. So I've got to give meaning to something. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they're really struggling without a spiritual center, they, they really struggle with finding meaning and brokenness, finding meaning yeah. and pain. The other piece that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around, and I'd love to hear from you and others and listeners is this is more of a sociological thing. These friend groupings that mm-hmm. I'm seeing are changing, like how they're doing the friend groupings and when they're splintering off and why they're splintering off. And some kids are just left hanging and there's no explainable reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like no lack of social skills. Yeah, and so the relationships, one-on-one and in groups, how they're doing that um, is changing, and it's and because they rely so heavily on one another, when that changes and they feel left out, mm-hmm. they really they really do fall. And yeah, they,
0: for sure. I, I was noticing more and more while I was still in the classroom, like students were beginning to kind of pair off almost like socioeconomically. So I was at a, a fairly upper middle class to upper class high school like students there most students there were not worried about where their meals were coming from or where they and and we noticed that like even amongst everybody's parents probably made within a range like they were all fairly on the same level that you would notice kids pairing off based on like you know, who was able to vacation in Cabo versus who went to, like, Tennessee, right, and, like, and that was because it was almost, and I had a student tell me one time, well, I I have nothing to talk with her about, like, our just, we just, our houses look different, our families, they just work differently, like, you know, that she was describing, like, physical material things gave value and worth to the people around her, and so if they didn't have the same thing she did, then she wasn't going to be friends with them, because she didn't, you know, she didn't have anything to talk to them about. Which I don't know if it was that vastly different when I was in high school, but I think it was. In that, yeah. you know, you 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 linked up with people based off of what you did. So like, I was friends with my speech and debate friends and like my youth group friends, and and now they're almost all doing so much all the time mm-hmm. that they they can't even form those authentic relationships with. The people that they're doing all those things with because they just That's there's right. just no time for it. They're That's jumping right. from yeah. one thing to the next.
1: Exactly. And there's, there's a lack of consistency around where those friends are as well. You're, yeah. you're absolutely correct.
0: When, yeah. so, so, Tommy's a teacher, my husband, um, for those, he's a biology teacher in a charter school. And um, he often says that when we give students access to everything, they end up choosing nothing.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So so what
0: they're seeing amongst their students is like there's all these extracurricular opportunities and there's all these moments for them to try to because it's a school that struggles economically in some sense that that they they throw so much at the young people that then they're paralyzed with choice yeah Um, and that's something we've learned in parenting we have a two-year-old and so when like we start to see that temper tantrum loop forming everything that we've read says you give her two choices so she has to immediately choose between one or the other rather than 50 different options and we just we've noticed that mornings are much more peaceful when there's only two outfit options <laughs> mornings are much more peaceful when it's what you want eggs or you want toast not let's open the fridge and pick something together so we almost have to kind of go back to that with with teenagers at this phase yeah. like they, they almost yeah. have two-year-old they temper it. tantrum brains like they yes. need
1: two choices
0: they need and two they want options.
1: it and yeah. and they want it and and that's and it's counterintuitive for parents who mm-hmm. feel like they i see it every day i'm like mom he need you to make a decision like, you know, he's 15, he doesn't know yeah. what he wants to do with you on the weekend, give him two options and let him pick one or say, hey, here's what we're doing. Yeah. And you might get that surface level eye rolling backlash, but deep down inside, they feel secure because yeah. you're right. They are growing up in a world where they have never had more options yep. than they, these young people have now. Yeah. Um, and, and it is paralyzing. And when, and when it comes to op- the future, it's even more so. Yeah, Yeah.
0: because well, yeah, it's options like in physical, everyday real life. And then it's options yeah. of what app am I going to open on my phone? What game am I going to play? Even Netflix. Like there's this phenomenon of Netflix is putting a thousand shows up a week. And yet what do I still watch every single night? The same right. nine seasons of The Office. Despite the fact that there is a backlog of every show I could ever want on uh-huh. my two-year-old. What does she always want to watch? Rose wants to watch Frozen or The Lion King. Like that's it. I have the yep. entire Disney Plus catalog, and she keeps going right. back. So, so we do want stability. We do want constancy.
1: Um, and, and that uh, is a you. Let me just, if I yeah, might, please, please say that. Yeah, because that is so true. It's one of the reasons that ritual and religion, right? Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing every Sunday. Yes, thank God, it's thank the God same God. thing every <laughs> yes. Sunday.
0: I know it's thank coming. You.
1: It's the one thing that I can count on being the same in this week of yep. mensch change. Yes, that, that's powerful. Um, there's psychology. Jesus was a brilliant psychologist. Mm-hmm. You know, religions for us, um, and it still it still works. You, you know,
0: know you, and there's ritual and routine not just in religion, right? But like that's where it's most stable, like capital T and small T tradition. But like we fly a lot, like even in airports and airplanes, like I have a ritual of like what I take out of my bag first. And when I go to the, like where I sit in the club when I'm in DFW and like what kind of a seat I prefer on a plane. So we are, we create those rituals for ourselves. When we can lead young people into a life of faith that provides that stability, I think we can see some transformations.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, No question.
0: I want to shift for a second. And just like the last little thing I want to talk about, because there's an article that's been circulating on Facebook the past few weeks. This, it was this woman, I was a 37 year old internet addict, right? Like when she was an 11 and she's talking about how that ended up leading to some sexual abuse in her life. And that ended up leading to some massive, you know, mental health struggles as a full-blown adult. So she's like forbidding screens and social media with her children until a certain age. And that's uh, most of the people that I'm friends with on Facebook. That's the conversation we're having. It's ironic we're talking about no social media on social media, but it's another yeah. conversation. But <laughs> but specifically when it comes to phones and screens, this generation is being called screenagers. This generation we know are spending five-plus hours a day on personal mobile devices. They have screens in their schools. Um, they're being taught the alphabet to type rather than to write. Like It's just right. – we're seeing this exposure. What do you think that's starting to do to some brain chemistry? Like, obviously we know the competition element. We know that, but like, how is that? What, yeah. what are those teenagers gonna be like when they're 30 having never not had a smartphone or the internet readily accessible?
1: Yeah, and so what, what we're seeing already in, in the generation and and we know it is affecting the brain because mm-hmm. neurons that fire together, wire together. Yeah. Take that to the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're firing on these screens, mm-hmm. which the there are many components to it, The one that concerns me the most, though, is the feedback loop, which we talk about Mm -hmm. in addiction circles, Mm -hmm. the stimulus and how fast do I feel good about it? Mm -hmm. The feedback loop around screens, social media and a lot of other stuff in that arena um, is incredibly fast, like it's lightning fast. And the brain is getting adapted to that speed. And what Mm -hmm. people like Tommy and my wife and others are finding is that when they come into a brick and mortar classroom, it's really tough for them to slow their brains down. Yeah. The other piece of that is that the brain is used to that stimulation. So if I'm relying on that to produce dopamine and norepinephrine in my brain, then when it's not there, I'm Mm going to feel it. And people will physiologically feel that. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question more directly, one of the biggest things that I see, and there are many other things, I'm sure, in how it's affecting them is it's creating an incredibly impulsive generation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's um, it's their response to things or as fast as they're used to getting um, mm-hmm. r- responded to by something mm-hmm. and we're just seeing much more impulsivity to the point to where I think in our diagnostic code in five years when we redo it it'll be ADHID, attention deficit mm-hmm. hyperactivity impulsivity disorder now it's mm-hmm. always been part yeah. of it but the amount of impulsivity that aren't that's not reaching that I'm mm-hmm. seeing that mm-hmm. doesn't meet other symptoms and so here's a biggie why is that a concern for us? And this is what everyone, this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say. Suicide is still the second leading cause of death in teens today. And I'm not trying to end on this mm-hmm. negative note. But no, it's right. Hugely important. You know, one in five kids get depressed, major depression when they're in high school, only one in eight get help. So our research on suicide now, we know three things. And if these three things are in place, it is an unholy trinity of mm-hmm. red flags. Yeah, which is a loss of belonging,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: A loss of belonging, perception of myself as being a burden. And mm-hmm. then the big one is impulsivity. Mm-hmm. So we're, seeing, yeah. Yeah. we're seeing young people who have no mental health disorders that, and folks are like Roy, there's nothing. And that's, mm-hmm. they're not just Roy, we're reading this in the literature. Yeah, and, and kid has a bad event. They share some new photos. Their friend shares it all over the web. Incredibly humiliating. Add mm-hmm. impulsivity, add alcohol, marijuana to the mix, Boom, we could have it. And so you those can. are things that we want to pay attention. So I'm concerned about the impulsivity, mm-hmm. not because they're not doing, they're not sitting in their desk in the classroom, but more along some of the lines of some other mental health things um, yeah. and decision-making. Yeah. yeah. It can
0: be, it can be very scary to kind of almost start to go down this rabbit hole of, of thinking about, like, what's coming because of the world that they're living in, that they're growing up in, that, right. that, that we've almost right. created for them, right? Like, right. Right. that we've we've been shoving into their faces and that that we ourselves, like, my the thing that scares me the most is when if Tommy and I are both sitting on the couch, like, at the end of a long day and, like, Rose is just playing on the floor, this is why she needs a sibling sooner rather than later, she'll, like, if we're on our phones... And she sees us both on our phone. She'll come up, she'll be like, Stop. And I'm always like, Yeah, good for you, Rose. Like telling us yes. to not be addicted to our phones. But then also, like, Is <laughs> she, does she think that that's normal? Like, does she, is is she being raised? And so, teenagers who have been raised in a world of, Well, success comes by way of the screen, success comes yeah. by way of these things that I've done. I, I don't want to end on that that fearful note by any means. No, so, I don't want to, I don't want to. Yeah. And and when I think, but I think it's good, and I think it's something that you have to know, and you're the expert. Yeah. Like, we're learning yeah. from an expert as we're exploring this topic. But So the, the question we ask at the end of every podcast is kind of, like, not only, like, do you have anything else to say, but if you were to find yourself in an elevator with someone and they find out in, like, a few seconds that you're an LPC, that you this yeah. is what you do for a living, yeah. um, and then they say, like, oh, man, like, you know, I've always wanted to know, like, I don't know, like, what that's all about, or like, how can I help somebody? I don't know. They ask you, like, a question, and you have 30 seconds to answer, and so I'm that person, and I ask you, like, well, how how can I find hope in the midst of healing when it comes to mental health? Like, what what's the light at the end of this mental health tunnel that you would really want to impress upon people?
1: Yeah. And the, the hope is a person. It's not an idea. It's not a theory. It's not a concept. And so for me, the hope is in Jesus, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That, that means that, that, that um, Jesus, the, his Paschal mystery, right? Mm-hmm. The suffering, death and resurrection of Christ plays out in my life every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my hope is that there's resurrection. And the more knowledge we have out there, which we do, I am I am the most hopeful person in the world around this, Mm -hmm. but I want to be very real about some of these issues too. But I have incredible hope in the person of Jesus. Right? Mm -hmm. Psychology cannot, we, we, we will end where grace begins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Where we end, God's grace begins. And I have seen over and over things that don't make any sense. But in the light of God's grace, I've seen healing over and over. So there's, mm-hmm. there's tons of hope and the hope that this generation is more open to it. They're talking about it. Yeah. They're sharing yeah. with, with folks. And so, man, I've got tons. I've got nothing but hope.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that gives me hope. If the guy that's in the trenches with this has hope, <laughs>
1: oh, then I think tons those, of hope. Of us,
0: those of us tons listening of can't. Hope. Right. Where can we find you? Uh, your book will, of course, be down in the show notes. But tell us a little bit about like where people can access the goodness that is Roy Pettifee.
1: Awesome. Um, the podcast. Uh, we yes. have a podcast. Today's Teenager. That has been um, something that a lot of folks find valuable over 100 episodes there. Um, the blog at today's um, And I do Facebook live videos and, and mm. things like that. So um, you can follow me on Facebook. That's kind of tends to be where I spend most of my time.
0: And tell us the name of your book from Ave Maria Press.
1: Oh yes, helping teens with stress, anxiety, and depression—a guide for Catholic pastors, parents, youth ministers, and educators.
0: It's it's a fantastic resource. Um, I got to see a lot Thank of the review you. copies of it. The cover is great. Um, so that it doesn't look like a mental health book sitting on your no. shelf. It looks like right. something that like a teenager might even pick up themselves and find and some have. help with. And yes, and they are sure reading it. They have and are reading. it. Gives me great hope. Well, that link will be down in the show notes, along with the link to all your podcasts and and whatnot. Thanks so much for joining us, Roy. Grateful for your time.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah. You know, I think I'd say this, whether Roy was a, a dear friend of mine or not, but what he says in this episode is I truly think life-changing for some people. Everything from what he described young people today are facing and and what he thinks we're going to be seeing in, in their adulthood all the way to even just the the gift and the art of listening can oftentimes open up a pathway to healing for someone who is encouraged to then go seek out professional help. In all of this one thing that Roy said really really stuck out to me and it's that these conversations about mental health build pathways of trust that these conversations about mental health are opportunities to lead people not only to a place of mental health for themselves, that, that they then become more mentally healthy, but that at the end of the day what's most profound is that that person might seek help, that person might find healing, that person might find the comfort and peace that they've longed for. Um, when I first started going to therapy, my uh, therapist, I see him via Skype. Um, he's a Catholic therapist uh, in a different part of the country from mine. and. One of the first conversations we had was why do you want to come to therapy? And I said, well, because I need it. And he said, okay, what? and he kind of pressed a little bit more and he said, why do you think you're here? And and I remember that conversation being asked of me when I was in seventh grade and I, I saw a therapist for a brief period of time uh, because of some struggles that I was having with different friend groups and seventh grade is just, it's just hard. Seventh grade is just hard. Let's be very honest and real about that. Um, and it immediately brought me back to that therapy room where somebody asked me that very same question. Why do you think you're here? And I I felt like a child again. And so the the therapist rephrased it. He said, no, no, no. Not why were you sent here? Because I know you sought me out yourself. Not why do you think you're in trouble? Because therapy is not trouble problem solving, but is is an opportunity to find healing and and to find grace. He said, why do you think this is important in your life right now? And I said, because I want to function better, and I want to function well, and I want to find healing in my life, and I think that that will help me live a better life. And he said something that you'll hear in a later episode, I'll talk about this, and in the video that we're publishing for Ave Explorers as well, but he said something that, that truly changed my life in that moment. He said, Jesus cares about your mental health. Jesus cares about your mental health. He cares about your wholeness. He cares about your holiness. He cares about your happiness. And so mental health is part of that. And, and so through That conversation, and through then being able to unpack things with my therapist, through that art of listening that has built those pathways of trust, which has led to immense healing within my life, here we are having this conversation right now, you and I, me telling you this very openly as the millennial that I am, wearing therapy like a badge, but also hopefully setting an example for you to maybe not be afraid to have that conversation with a therapist yourself, to maybe not be afraid to have that conversation with a friend and encourage them to seek the help that you know that they might need. That's why we're doing this podcast, that's why we're doing this series, that's why we're hoping um, that this Ave Explorers is the most powerful yet, that as we deep dive into stress, anxiety, and mental health from a variety of different perspectives with excellent experts offering their insights, that ultimately people begin to understand and recognize that mental health is essential within their life and that Jesus Christ cares about their mental health. You can find more of this series over at AveMariaPress.com, including stellar articles, some excellent videos, other podcast episodes. Ultimately, uh, just a, a wonderful conversation that's happening about these topics, and we hope that you will seek out all of that content again over at AveMariaPress.com. You can also find a backlog of all of our Ave Explorers episodes, both on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on AveMariaPress.com. As always, we'd be grateful for a reading and a review, and possibly a share with folks of this episode or your favorite episode so more people can find this podcast and benefit from what we are talking about. The contents of AVE Explorers, such as text, graphics, images, and other material, are for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition.